All right, it's Friday afternoon. The uh, Judiciary Committee has just concluded a last-minute rushed work session on LD-1619, Governor Mills' late-term abortion bill. Uh, we're going to record a quick podcast here. Um, I'm here with Dr. Tom Page, uh, Representative Laura Libby from Auburn, and Senator Eric Brakey from Louis- uh, County, is I think is how we how we describe it. Also specifically from Auburn. <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, <laughs> that works. And uh, uh, representing some surrounding towns, too. Yeah. So Foster, Poland, and Durham. Senator Brakey is a member of the Judiciary Committee. Representative Libby has been involved in speak up, running Speak Up for Life uh, and uh, played a big role in getting uh, 1,500. We heard today it's not record-breaking testimony per Matt Moonen. I'll correct that. At okay. <laughs> He's wrong. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, for, for we'll call it a historical a turnout to oppose LD 1619 on May 1st, stretched into May 2nd. And uh, we've added yet another chapter to uh, this this bizarre fight to... Uh, legalize abortion for any reason at any point during a pregnancy in the state of Maine, uh, even though Governor Mills uh, promised multiple times during her campaign that she would pursue no changes to Maine's abortion law. Uh, two months later, she came out and endorsed the most radical abortion law that you really can introduce, period. Um, so one of the things that emerged during the last 24 to 48 hours was uh, Representative Matt Moonen, a uh, co-chair of the Judiciary Committee, came up with an amendment he says that this amendment is drastic. It uh, narrows the scope of the abortions that this law will permit. And there seems to be some debate on the committee as to whether that is, in fact, the case. Um, so I think you guys all have a unique perspective on what exactly this amendment says and what it's going to do uh, and what that means in a medical uh, context. Uh, so, Senator Brakey, what's your take on the amendment? Does this change anything for you? I mean, you, you still voted against the, uh, the motion to, uh, uh, the ought to pass motion. So I'm assuming no, but what is this amendment and what's its, the, its significance? Yeah. Um, as far as I can tell, the amendment is window dressing. It doesn't actually address any of the underlying concerns in any serious way. Um, I, I don't think there's, there's any version of this bill I could have supported when we are operate on the basis, which became clear that advocates are, that an unborn baby in the third trimester that's post-viability has no rights whatsoever to consider in this question. We heard that over and over again. They have no rights. This is not a person. Don't even think, you know, don't let the thought enter your mind that you're talking about a human being with human rights. It's not alive, Eric. Well, um, we, says, says the attorney general. If we found... Uh, Until it's out, if I believe. We, was if we found... Uh, an eight-month-old fetus on Mars, I guarantee we would say, wow, there's life on Mars. Um, and human life, too. We would be, <laughs> we would be shocked. Um, so many people had concerns. I think there's a, there's, a, there's a range of views, I think, on this bill. Um, some people don't want any expansion in abortion um, for any reason. Like Governor Mills two months ago. Certainly, <laughs> that was her position at, at that point. Um, some people thought, well, you know, there's a compelling case to be made about these rare cases of fatal fetal abnormalities that are found late in pregnancy where, um, where the baby is not actually viable because the baby, you know, can't be born alive in the opinion of a physician. This is, this is the, um, the op-ed that the woman submitted to the Press Herald that the Mills administration architected their entire push for late-term abortion. And that's what they've sold this legislation on. Correct. Very ex- moving story. Ex- hard, to, hard to question. Except that the bill doesn't speak at all to fatal fetal abnormalities. It's just a broad 
anything goes, abortion after viability for any reason, as long as a physician determines that it is necessary. Necessary for what purpose? The bill doesn't say, the advocates couldn't specify, and the committee amendment adds no real clarity. I know that uh, it came forward. I think Democrat members of the committee wanted to have something to kind of cover their butts and say, oh, we, we heard about the lack of specificity, so we're going to put it in this and say it has to follow the standards of care. But when we ask, okay, what are the standards of care around killing a third trimester baby in the womb who is viable and capable of living with assistance, you know, if you were to induce pregnancy early, What's the standards of care around that? We kind of get a lot of vague head scratching um, and just kind of just just trust that the medical professionals are going to be responsible. When you compare that to five years ago when in the Health and Human Services Committee, we were dealing with legislation that the Maine Medical Association supported and then Attorney General Janet Mills supported around uh, restrictions on opiate prescriptions. They weren't coming to us then and saying, "Oh, we can't be legislating medicine. Yeah. We can't have we can't have parameters in the law dictating when this is appropriate and when it isn't." That's not what we heard then. No, it's, were, not, it's not what you hear in a lot of areas. Right. The legislature seems to pick and choose when it's appropriate for the legislature to get down into the nitty gritty. I mean, on the not to get on another subject, but on the wind power bill, they're regulating that you know the sexuality of the individuals who could be hired to go work at the Windport facility. So, I mean, they, they have uh, the ability to get down into the nitty-gritty when they need to. There is often a lot of reference to principles that are selectively applied, and I think that's what we're seeing here. Now, one of the things that's also at issue in this bill is expanding the class of medical professionals who are able to perform, uh, to, to approve and perform abortions. And there was a lot of back and forth in the committee hearing uh, Representative Libby about um, whether or not advanced registered nurses, physicians' assistants would be able to, um, I guess, certify or perform these abortions. My original reading of it was that this was so vague that advanced registered nurses, even those employed by a Planned Parenthood clinic, would be the sole, uh, I guess, sign-off needed to perform a late-term abortion. Is, was that the case originally? Has this changed at all with the amendment? I don't think the amendment has clarified really much of anything. If if anything, I believe it actually perhaps makes it broader by specifying that it be necessary and that it be associated with a standard of care. And and since that doesn't exist, then there's no benchmark. Um, as far as who can perform an abortion, it's interesting. I was having this conversation with Dr. Page yesterday um, where, as I understand it, PAs don't deliver perform deliveries. Is that correct? So PAs actually don't deliver babies in Maine, but yet under this expanded law, they can deliver dead ones, deliver dead ones. Yes. So no deliveries allowed for PAs of live babies. But under this, they could perform abortions and deliver dead babies. Well, I guess that raises the question, doctor. I think you're probably the best suited person to answer this one. Uh, What is the what is the medical difference for the mother? of delivering a dead baby versus an alive baby? Is it less risk to the mother? Is there less risk? So that's that's the essence of the question. When I was looking at this, when Governor Mills came out with her press conference and in defense of this poor woman that had this unfortunate circumstance discovered at 32 weeks, and the law doesn't allow 
insurance to cover. Certainly not main care, but I don't think that's the way to deal with that. I think uh, the excuse to promote this bill was this rare anomaly that occurs with a frequency of about 2 in 10,000. And it would be an easy fix to add a very specific amendment into the verbiage of the law as it stands now and call it macaroni. But they didn't choose to do that. I don't know why they chose to promote this law that allows abortions in the third trimester. And to give you some color to that and try to answer your question was, can a PA do a delivery? Um, there's a four-year specialty for OBGYN. And on top of that, if you really want to specialize in complicated obstetrics, you have another two or three years to train and become a maternal fetal specialist. So to think that it, it, if you were to go to your family practitioner's office and there was a PA that saw you and you were at seven weeks pregnant, the PA is 1,000% capable or an advanced nurse practitioner of writing prescription for Mifeprex and going through what that entails to abort the pregnancy at home, which is well within the guidelines. Uh, what's written now. If you were to advance that to 32 weeks in the case of Dana Pierce, where that information was presented to her and in a place where that would be covered by insurance, the next step would be, oh my God, this has happened to you. Why don't you go ahead? We'll have you come into the hospital. We'll induce the pregnancy. We'll do a delivery. Delivering a 32-weeker with a fetal anomaly is is technically not different than delivering a 32-weeker of a healthy pregnancy. It's a very complicated process. You need to have access to a blood bank because not only is there probably four or five pounds of baby there, but there's fluid, there's placenta, there's bleeding. There's a specialty that is required in order for you to practice medicine with a specialty of OBGYN and to do it the right way in a safe way. To have a family practitioner, excuse me, not a family practitioner, to have a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant do the delivery, it's not done. It doesn't occur. Midwives do deliveries. Doctors do deliveries. At 32 weeks, it's a delivery. What? 24 weeks, it's a delivery. At 20 weeks, it's the same process. So what are we? To, what would you make as a physician of this standards of care language? And I know you spoke you spoke about this a little bit to the judiciary. The I'm sure language, they listened. Excuse me. The standard of care language was, I don't know what problem Representative Moonen was trying to address or fix, but it's completely irrelevant. As a physician, the standard of care for counseling a patient that's going to terminate her pregnancy because she's severely depressed and... If you were to go to your psychiatrist and the psychiatrist who's a practicing physician in good standing with his regulatory body would basically say, gee, you're depressed. I think this would be treated by having an abortion here. And you're at 32 weeks, you're at 36 weeks. Um, that's a delivery. You could offer that to the patient and say, yeah, I'd show up at the hospital. We can, well, we're, there's a whole different standard of care of inducing a pregnancy to have a live birth, which is what we do versus having a dead birth, having a stillbirth. It's like we don't induce stillbirths, and which opens up another can of worms that nobody discussed, is if there's a woman that elects to terminate her pregnancy at 36 weeks, when is the when's fetus going to die? When does that happen? Who's going to stick a needle in that baby's heart and give it a lethal injection? Versus baby comes out, 
And then somebody, you're not just going to ignore the baby because the well, there's the Ralph Northam standard where you would. I mean, when Ralph Northam went through this, he what that it was, you know, keep the baby comfortable and ignore it. So in a facility that is responsibly run, take any hospital in the state that's well run, that offers deliveries, that has a crew, that has machines, has millions of dollars worth of equipment and trained professionals to take care of babies and moms that will want to do the healthiest thing for their children. Even take care of women that have had fetal demises in the in the case of Dana. She presented, she would get the best care Maine can offer, best care in the country. And baby comes out, and the baby is a healthy 36-weeker. What do you do with that? So we're basically setting up a scenario where in Maine's excellent hospitals, we have a 36-week-old child whose mom has made a certain decision. And then in the room next door, we have a family of a premature child, and the doctors are doing everything they can, struggling mightily for 36 hours to keep the preemie alive because of the decision its parents have made and essentially neglecting the 33, 36-week-old child and, until it dies. It's happen. That's not going to happen in any facility in Maine where anybody that works there, any self-respecting nurse, doctor, respiratory therapist that sees this happening, that's not, that can't happen. And, I, and yet the Judiciary Committee just voted for that to happen. But standards of care are in place. <laughs> and, and, and if I can add something I, about what just happened in the Judiciary Committee, I know for a fact that from private conversations that I've had, I won't name names, but private conversations I've had with Democrat members of the committee, that they, that several were very uncomfortable with this bill. They knew that the amendment did not provide the safeguards that they really wanted, but they felt the partisan pressure to conform with what they're being told they have to do by party leadership and by Governor Janet Mills. And, of course, party leadership controls whether you get to sit on the Judiciary Committee or not. As we discovered today. Yes, as we discovered. It's funny. I switched into the Judiciary Committee partway through the term, replacing another Republican senator who uh, wanted to serve on another committee instead. And it took weeks for the Senate president to sign off on me being transferred into the committee. Uh, And today, when there was no quorum present, because we didn't even have notice that this work session was happening today, mm-hmm. uh, they were able to substitute in a another Democrat senator onto the committee within, you know, like 10 minutes. It was almost like that letter was already written by Senate, Senate President Jackson, <laughs> you might suspect. I, I want to talk a little bit about how the media has portrayed this entire affair uh, in the state of Maine. Uh, it seems to me that it's a fair assessment of our newspapers, of Maine public, of the TV stations, that they're pro-abortion certainly in their editorial coverage and also in the in the way they've covered the news story. Um, there's one example. I guess there's two examples here. Uh, the first is Governor Mills. Um, you know, there's, there's two explanations here. Uh, during the campaign, she said several times, I will seek no changes to Maine's abortion law. Very specifically, she said that includes the viability threshold. I will not change the viability threshold. It was the big, one of the biggest, if not the biggest issue during the campaign. Governor LePage struggled with it. It was one of the reasons why. Uh, he, he suffered as badly he di- as he did on election day. Uh, less than two months later, she comes out with the, the most aggressive, most radical abortion bill ever. So there's 
there's two possible explanations for that. Uh, the J- Democrats on the committee advanced this idea that she at, what is she, 65, 70 years old, a lawyer, DA, attorney general, suddenly just had this come to Jesus moment, or that's probably not the best expression, but she had this awakening. Came to something. Yeah, she came, she, <laughs> she had to come to something. She had to come to something moment and decided that she'd been wrong for her entire career. She was wrong throughout the entire campaign. Not just like a little bit wrong, but 180 degrees wrong, or she lied and Planned Parenthood spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to influence elections in this state, uh, specifically on her race as well. They weren't doing that for no good reason. Um, so potentially she lied and she worked out in advance an elaborate, uh, I guess, campaign tactic to tell the voters of Maine one thing, a very important issue, when she, in fact, was planning all along to do the other. The, the Democrats say it's the first. What do you guys say? I, I, I would say I lean towards the Governor Mills lied. That's been pretty clear all along. And, and and not only that, I think we've seen Democrat tactics throughout this entire bill process. From the, the time that this was announced at the uh, press conference to then delay in the bill coming out, uh, it came out very late, it, rel- relatively late in the session. And then the the public hearing where main people, you know, the proponents of the bill got to each speak for two minutes. And then, oh, we didn't realize there would be such an outpouring we better, you know, cut the time so that we can can get through this public hearing um, and and cutting time down to a minute Two yesterday and today. The, the chairs, the Democrat chairs of the committee deliberately um, making it difficult for Maine people to observe and participate in the process. Yes, the work session is for the committee to discuss what they've learned and to make a decision and vote on the bill. But it's also for Maine people to see the process, to watch the process, to have it be transparent in front of them. And all of the Democrat efforts have gone into making this a very difficult process for Maine people to participate in and to observe. And that has been, I think, very uh, coordinated and deliberate. Uh, a lot of our representatives and senators serving in that house over there have forgotten that it's the people's house. And uh, and they don't like having Maine people in that house telling them how they should do their job and how they should represent them. So I think Governor Mills lied on the campaign trail. She continues to to lie about lying on the campaign trail. Uh, if she's ever if if she's ever even asked about it. I mean, I, look, my original I, yeah. I guess question was about the the media's treatment of this. You know, have they handled the process, which you guys have seen? Right firsthand have they handled the political d- dynamics behind this i don't think i've seen it uh, talked about in in the mainstream media the amount of money planned parenthood spent in here the fact that governor mills chief of staff is a former planned parenthood employee who's married to the house chairman of the committee right. who who i will say former former executive director of equality maine he he wanted to be very specific about that yeah um i do want to well, first of all, I, I do want to give credit to credit where credit I do want to give credit where credit is due to a few members of the media. I, I I want to say that I had you know Penelope Overton at the Portland Press Herald. Yes, I think has been asking has been asking real questions to the the administration about this, and I think perhaps she feels a bit responsible because she was you know there's that clip at the one of the debates where she's asking Paula Page and Janet Mills mm-hmm. if they will change you know seek to change the abortion laws and janet mills lied to her face as she lied to the public 
right? So we could say is Democrats want to and Representative Moonen in committee today wanted to paint this as oh a change of heart an evolution. It, an evolution. But it, it's it's interesting how many times on these campaign promises Governor Janet Mills has had these changes of heart, right? This isn't the first time. During, when she ran the first her, the, for for the governorship the first time, she promised parents that she signed a pledge that she would not seek to remove the religious or philosophical exemptions on vaccine requirements. And then the moment she got elected, she flipped on that. Now she promised she was not going to try to change abortion laws. And now she flipped on that. She's trying to pass the most radical abortion for any reason at any point up to the moment of birth abortion law in the country. And so it's a pattern of behavior. And the media, by and large, does not hold her accountable like they for example, held Paul LePage accountable for yeah, statements that's what I'm wondering. So, so in, a, in an alternate world where Governor LePage won the election last year after saying, I don't want any changes to abortion law, and then two months later came out and said, actually, no more Medicaid-funded abortions, and you know what? We're cranking that viability threshold back to 12 weeks. Yeah, do, you I, think, do you think that they would be like, oh, he had a, a sweet evolution. A what a sweet evolution of his thinking. No, it would be a... Governor LePage lied and, you know, it'd be a rabid calling out of the governor. In every story. In every yeah. story from I, and the, that, and that from would the be beginning fair. of the process throughout. It would and that, be that would be fair. If, if you if you tell a campaign lie of that magnitude, it's fair for that to be a part of the story every time that that story is told. Uh, so I guess where where do you, we go politically from here? I'll say one thing. There's one thing I'm, I'm grateful to Governor Janet Mills on is that when she lied about the religious and philosophical exemption and what she did uh, and, and pushing that through. Uh, a lot of people rose up and got involved. And because of that, we have Representative Laura Libby today. You know, <laughs> that's true. So I wonder of all the people who showed up because of this radical push to expand abortion for any reason up to the moment of birth. We saw so many people show up and get involved. In large part, thanks to the work of Representative Laurel Libby and others who've been organizing uh, this this effort to get main people involved in the process. To those people who I'm sure, certain are disappointed in what happened in the committee today, I encourage them continue to fight. This has to go to the fl- floor of the House of Representatives. It has to go to uh, the Senate. Um, put pressure now. You, it's beyond the committee now. Put pressure on your individual representative and your individual senator. And if they vote for this radical bill, then you got to be the next Laurel Libby and you got to run against them or find someone who will. Yeah. And, and to that point, you know, I was having a conversation with with someone yesterday talking about that very point. You know, we have seen an unprecedented unprecedented number of Maine people coming to the state house to testify and then coming to to rally against this and an outpouring of contact to their their own legislators you know reaching out and many of them for the first time they have not known how to even advocate with their advocate with their legislators thank you the sharing the mic thing is so awkward um they haven't known previously how to make an impact in the legislative process and so it has been incredible to see that. And, and I would say, um, it, it's something that this administration and the, the Democrats who have put forward this bill did not expect. Um, and they don't really know what to do with it. But the, the energy that folks have has been incredible. And I will say this, 
you know, we've talked all along about the process that they would, there would be a public hearing and then a work session. And, and all along we've been very realistic. Uh, we knew this would be the outcome from the work session that the, the bill would move out of committee with an ought to pass as amend, as amended even. We knew there would be an amendment coming forward, something like this. And so none of this is a surprise. We're in the same place that we were when we started advocating against this bill. And so, uh, we knew all along it's going to come down to two things. Who is in attendance when the vote is made? And, uh, if there are, you know, those folks who are in maybe more vulnerable districts than others, um, or who have a, a strong moral stance against abortion that will vote against their party and vote against this bill. So those margins will be very close and, and it comes down to those two factors. So nothing that's occurred today with the work session changes that fact. Um, and so it has been great to see folks stepping up for the first time and, and finally understanding that, you know, it's not hard to make a phone call to your legislator and advocate against legislation. You just need to know how to do it and who to reach out to. And I do hope that some of these folks, uh, will get further involved, will maybe run for office because once LD1619 is over one way or the other, we'll have a, a clearer idea of who does need to be removed from office and where uh, it would be great to see some more flipped seats in 2024. And so I, I look forward to continuing to mobilize people, um, yes, against 1619, but then beyond, because we need to see a, a shift in that state house so that we can reclaim it more fully as the people's house, because too many have forgotten that that's what it is. Well, Representative Livy, I know you, of all those people who came out to the state house, there has to be maybe even the majority of them didn't even know what a work session was or the ju- judiciary committee or how to be involved. Like what's what, what is testimony? What floor even is the judiciary committee on? And so for a lot of them, I have to imagine that after seeing that massive turnout and then seeing this vote and and what may come down the line, it's going to be a, maybe a little bit disheartening for them. So what would you say to those people who are wondering um, you know, if, if this didn't, uh, affect the political outcome in a meaningful way, then, uh, what, what else can we really do? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll let Dr. Dr. Page pop in here and then I'll, I'll get my answer. So if I could speak to that, um, what I've noticed as an outsider is here we are listening. I'm, Hang on, Dr. Page, can we back up here a second? How many times have you come to speak at a public hearing once prior to May 1st? Zero. Zero. So this was your first time getting politically like, engaged. Yes. So that's kind of the background. You're one of those. You're one of those people. He lives in my district. Oh. <laughs> I live in your district. <laughs> I'm glad I voted right. So, so I, <clears throat> I guess to my observation on this is, thank God we have Laura Libby, who happens to be my representative. Eric Brakey is my senator, so I have that going for me, and it's easy to see what's going on in the community because. They're active in it, and they represent my ideals appropriately. As far as the process that they're engagement, hey, they're engaged in, you're legislators. You are the teeny end of the funnel, and the world revolves around the process at the state house, as you are well versed in. The Laurel engaging 1,500 or 1,700, however many people showed up at the state house on May 1st was unbelievably fabulous. However, the people that were involved in that were were seeking that out, right? They were interested and they kept an eye on this situation 
and they were focused on this and they were energized enough to get a major well to show up at the state house in big numbers for 24 hours as opposed to what i heard in the work session today where all the democrats were running around the table and overwhelmingly the support in their district was to promote third trimester abortion i have not had that i haven't shared that same experience because all the professional people i speak to in the MMA in the MOA midwives physicians no one is even aware that this legislation is taking place i have not heard the response of oh i knew that was going on how did that turn out when i was at the work session last night and was surprised by the outcome of that let's say on my way home i contacted a midwife and physician friend of mine and i shared with them what i was going through and they had no idea what was going on i would say the majority of people out there in the state of maine have no idea what's going on and the reason why they don't have an idea of what's going on is because the papers and the television stations which is where people get their news from is not reporting this fill in the blanks why i think we all know the main wire was the only outlet that i saw yesterday that accurately depicted what went on and didn't try to give a balanced i shouldn't say that i think they gave an accurate depiction of what's going on versus what i read let's say in the press herald which wasn't a piece by penny overton but there was a piece that said yeah there was a meeting last night yeah it was a little controversial meh they're going to continue it at some point that doesn't really bring the color yeah. so to land the plane and, and to be quiet in the in the presence of better talkers than I <laughs> I would say that the 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 people in the state house are concentrating on the legislation like that's the only thing that matters as witnessed today by the shenanigans put on by the leadership of the democrats and how they enabled everything to give the appropriate outcome with no opposition in the last 24 hours with first of all if you think back when governor mills presented this in january there was a pause of 3 months and in april she had the wording of the document so we could actually see what's in the bill and then once we saw that in professionals like me so uh, that's not tenable that doesn't address anything that's that she's doing she's defending her ideas with this 32 week pregnancy with the lethal skeletal dysplasia but she's not promoting an answer to fix that problem. She's basically just saying, I'm all for women's rights. They can do anything they want. So, if you want to if you want to get people engaged, you have to kind of break through a level of let's say, dare I say the main wire, Steve, and you have to have the news outlets basically report the news accurately and get the word out that this process is going on because most people have very busy lives and don't have time for this. And there's a billion other things they're worried about and nobody knows it's going on. So unless you engage the population at large to bug their individual senators and congresspersons, you know, you're going to get the same effect in a week when they put this to the floor vote. Yeah. Because only the people, the Christian right, dare I say, they're the only ones that are engaged in this process. Eh, they're marginal anyway, who cares? Right? It's not the just the marginal Christians that are against this. It's every decent human being that I've spoken with to include medical professionals at the highest levels of the reg- of let's say the MOA and the MAA without naming names these people are reasonable people that say what i didn't know this was going on yeah i you know our efforts with speak up for life have been to educate and empower main people to respond to this to advocate with their legislators and um and and to speak up against this and 
yes, I think there will be some level of, of disappointment. I, along the way, as we had the public hearing and then now the work session, there has been a lot of explanation of the process and, and what that looks like. Uh, you know, for a lot of people, this was their first work session. To, so to have it be so disrupted and, uh, and, and really such an awkward process, that takes a lot of explaining, um, what's going on. So I think there will be some, I think there's probably some level of disappointment that this is the outcome, but this is the outcome that we predicted at the committee level back when we first started having speak up for life events and mobilizing people around the state. So, um, you know, we move on from here to the floor fight, which is, is the place where people need to be still engaging with their legislators over these next couple of weeks as we have been and as, uh, they need to be even more. Um, now, now it's time to really engage and, and advocate against this. Well, I, I appreciate you guys taking some time. I know you guys are very busy and, and Senator Brakey, I'll let you have the last word, but I just wanted to respond to, uh, Dr. Page for a second. And I thank you for the praise for the main wires coverage. And I know you said you thought it was an insult saying that the story wasn't balanced and it, it wasn't balanced. And my goal is not to have balanced coverage. I'm not trying to balance between the Democrats say this and the Republicans say this. I'm trying to have a story that reflects accurately what happened. And I think that the story did reflect accurately the process and the different arguments that have been made and some of the dynamics that have uh, been unfolding in the state house and beyond okay. around this legislation. So I completely agree. I appreciate it. Tell it like it is. And you did. You were the only one that did. Uh, you know, uh, two things I will say. First of all, as far as kind of main wires coverage go, I appreciate the main wire. I don't think, Steve, you try to hide the fact that you have a perspective well, that's and, true. And the main, <laughs> I, think, I think everybody, right? I think everybody, everybody right. the, uh, the main wire has a perspective. That. You know, um, I think what's so troubling about a lot of media is not that they're not objective; it's that they pretend to be objective when yeah. they're not. Yeah. I mean, true objectivity. I mean, you. Everyone has a perspective of some kind, and the, the most honest journalism is when that is disclosed up front. So that you as a consumer of, of the news can understand, okay, this is where this is coming from. The main wire discloses up front that with the, you know, it's, it, it, so, so in that way, I think the main wire is much more honest than a lot of, um, outlets we have masquerading as objective journalism. Um, as far as the committee process and kind of where we go, I just want to, for anyone who may be discouraged that this came out as a party line vote, and the majority, all Democrats, voted for it. Um, I guess I, I just would uh, something I always remember during my first term. You know, we passed the constitutional carry law for the state of Maine. We had tremendous turnout and support of it, and and that went through a committee process. And the committee vote at the end of the day was majority ought not to pass along party lines. But when it came to the floor, we were able to change that. We were able to flip votes. We got Democrats to break from the party line because they heard from their constituents and either they genuinely thought it was a good idea, you know, from a principled perspective, or they general genuinely thought it was a good idea from a reelection perspective. Mm-hmm. And if if we're going to defeat this legislation in the House and the Senate, it has to you know, we, we can hope that we can appeal to people's better natures and get them to see the light. But sometimes the best thing to do is accept that we have the wrong people in office mm-hmm. and we have to make it politically expedient for them to do the right thing. 
And the way to do that is they need to hear from their constituents and they need to have the fear of God put into them that if they vote the wrong way, people back home are watching and it will affect their ability to continue to serve in Augusta because unless they're termed out or they've thrown their hands up in the air and they're not planning to run for re-election, everyone has it in the back of their mind, re-election coming up, Mm -hmm. and to lose that re-election is political death. So... You can convince them their, 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 their political survival is threatened because if they vote the wrong way, you can get them to vote the right way. Mm-hmm. But you gotta call them. You gotta email them. You gotta get your friends and your family to do the same. If I get five phone calls from five constituents on the same issue, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a lot, but as, as a legislator, we don't usually get, hear so much from our constituents. So if you, so anyway. Moral story is have you know Laurel Libby will help you contact your legislators. I think I think my representative is uh, uh, Sally Clucci. Sally Clucci, who recently uh, we we found she's some very video. Concerned for. about the coyotes, so maybe concerned. she'll be concerned about the babies too. Well, coyotes look like dogs. Right, you know? right, yeah, <laughs> they look like dogs. Babies look almost like humans, but I, not quite. I won't yeah. say anything mean about Sally Clucci. She's my seatmate at HCIFS and. I disagree with her on many things. I disagree with her on many things. Uh, yeah, if folks want to know how to reach out to their legislators, they can check out speakupforlife.com and we will get them plugged in and help them understand how they can advocate and, and reach out. And it's never been more critical that they do than right now, as Senator Brakey said, because this could come to a floor vote anytime next week or the following week. So we've got to make sure that folks are reaching out to their legislators and advocating on this. I mean, look at the numbers. We lost the majority in the House last year by 1,400 votes. Um, that's, that's, I feel so powerful with two <laughs> microphones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, you know, we lost the majority by 1,400 some votes. That's when you look at the 10 closest districts. That's not a huge number. So absolutely, there are legislators in that House chamber who frankly don't belong there, but we Republicans aren't great on absentee voting. And so we lose the majority by 1,400 votes. Um, there are legislators who should and will lose their jobs if they vote the wrong way on this, and they need to hear from their constituents. And I guess the last thing I would say, you guys are both great on social media yourselves as, you know, I, not to, uh, I guess, uh, denigrate your colleagues, but as younger Republicans, you understand how digital social media works. So where can people find to follow your individual socials? I know, Eric, you're you're great on, on about putting out your floor speeches on Twitter, videos of your floors. Floor speeches like texts of them as well. You know, see that a lot from uh, any main politician. So where can people find you on your individual social medias? Well, I think I, I think I have more floor speeches than most members, so that that helps. <laughs> That's true too. I think in the, you, you, you put a lot of effort into it, them. I, I do. I try to be thoughtful, and and I hear from my Democratic colleagues in the Senate that uh, I talk too much, but I wish that they would talk more. We're supposed to be a deliberative body, but uh, you can follow me on. Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, but mostly I'm face Facebook, Eric Brakey from Maine Senate. I post a lot more local things there, things that kind of are more Maine-based and focused on my district. On Twitter, I've got a big following, and I talk sometimes I talk more about national things going on. Um, that's, that's at Senator Brakey. Mm-hmm. And thank you for calling me a younger Republican. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, and you can find me on Facebook. Republican uh, Representative Laurel Libby. Uh, you can also find me at laurellibby.com. And also, of course, right now, as we're fighting LD 1619, 
can find me at speakupforlife.com. Well, thank you very much for uh, coming and doing this with me. I know today's going to be a busy day, and you also have uh, personal lives to attend to. And uh, Dr. Page, thank you very much for doing this with us.